My view of the scripture is that it was actually spoken by God, that the Bible represents a unique document in human history, nothing like it. And so we always take our attention to it. We, we take it to be, in our tradition, the direct words of God, and therefore having authority and infallibility, and etc. But just because it's God's word doesn't mean it's going to mean anything to you right now. Right? Just because it's God's word doesn't mean it's going to be alive to you right now. And, and one of the reasons is, is because this, isn't, this is really old stuff. So, we are, taking, we are taking a look at Isaiah 6. And for those of you who are our guests, we're studying worship in the Bible. We're taking, we're leaping off from John 4, uh, which we're in the middle of a, a series on John during the year. And for the summer, we took a break to look at Worship, prompted by Christ's affirmation, his declaration, that God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth, for these are the kind of worshipers that what? God is seeking. And the idea that God is seeking something is a strange idea, because God doesn't lose things. There's nothing that he can't find. And so the idea that he's searching, it, it implies intimacy, it implies urgency, it implies connection. It, it, oh, oh, it's all here. But now we, we have been in, we've been amongst, uh, first we, took, we looked at stories, which is called narrative. Now we're in a new part of the Bible called the prophetic part of the Bible. Prophets were ancient preachers. They were a mixture of poet and, uh, and uh, orator. And here, Isaiah, Isaiah is one of the great prophets, one of the great men who, who preached to the people of God in 750 B.C. 750 B.C. Do you feel far from this text? <laughs> I feel it. Culturally, historically, uh, it, it is, it's in a different language. It's a different culture. It has a different value. It's so different. So one of my goals, one of my tasks today, is to make, take this just as a literary document and make sure you understand it. Make sure that it makes some sense to you. And, and I want to try to do that. Uh, I've given you a little bit of historical background, and I'm just kind of shoring it up. We're going to read this together. These ancient people like to read antiphonally. In other words, they like to read responsibly. Like I would say, hi, and you'd say, hello. And then it would go back and forth. Uh, we, we know some of this if we grew up in an Episcopal tradition. I would say, the Lord be with you. You see, some of you know, some of you don't know. Some of you, that was completely new, probably right now. But some of you, that's, you recognize that pattern. This, that's very ancient. We're going to read this text that way. But uh, first, so first of all, I'm going to put in 750 B.C. 750 B.C. in Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is a, is, a, is a bone to be chewed by the powers of the day. And the power of that day is Assyria. Assyria would make ISIS look like a walk in the park. These are brutal, brutal, brutal men. Brutal empires. Okay. Now, a king just died. Uzzah. Nobody had seen him for years. Do you know why? He had leprosy. This king had a skin disease, and he, he had been sequestered and removed from office. And so the, it opens up with the king is, the king is dead. King Isaiah dies. And Isaiah sees a vision. 
Oh, that's the political scene. All right. What about the religious scene? What was it like? We know that hypocrisy and false religious motions were a part of how people worship God. Sound familiar? Empty rites and rituals had replaced earnest obedience and worship. And instead of people being zealous for the poor, or for those who don't know God, or for those in need, or for those alone, or for those suffering, instead what happened? People had, were consumed with their own comfort and were unconcerned with the plight of others. And their worship had become empty. So Isaiah here, Isaiah here, is going to have a vision of God. Vision! Have you, ever, have you ever had a vision? Have you ever had a vision? I don't think, uh, I don't think I've ever had a vision. I don't like this. This is a different kind of literature than we're used to, where people describe fantastic things they see. Did he see it? I say he did. He's saying, he gives us a marker, a historical marker about when it happens. He's not claiming this is mythological. He's not, he's claiming this is historical. This happened in space and time at a particular place. To him. Oh, another thing's going to happen. Uh, how, how would you define glory? How would you define holy? Indefinable, vague ideas that float around this text. Well, that's kind of inst instructive for us because something else is floating. Shiny fog. There's a glowing, incandescent fog in this text. And there was no fog machine. And there were no lights. There was no strobe light in the back to animate it. Weird. This is a weird text. Then there's poetry. I even marked out a beautiful structure in the, in the text. Um, it's there in line. Well, we're gonna, well, let's just do it. Let's just go into I don't even have the text now. I need, I need a copy. Thank you, Eric. All right. Now... Look there, look at the lines 26 through 31. You see the heart, ears, eyes, eyes, ears, hearts. <laughs> Forgive me. I was a literature major. And I love poetry. I'm always eager to show you the poetry. I want you to see. I want you to see, not be purely because I want you to enjoy the aesthetic experience of the text. Who cares about that? Oh, I do. It's important. But, but. But I want you to see that the author is very intentional. You see, he wants to say something. He's not merely writing, you know, and reflect. No, he has an intention. He wants to communicate something to you about these people, how totally separate they are from God. Okay, that's enough. It's language. Oh, one more, one more point. So I got you the history. Let me see here. I want this to come alive. 758, so 758, it's Jerusalem, we know. It's a shiny fog, uh, which is supposed to equal glory and uh, holiness, which we can't define anyway. But I want you to see one more thing. Look at the last line. The seed. Holy seed. Now, the reason I bring this up is because, again, you're not familiar with this. Genesis 3, there was a promise of a seed. Genesis 3, the very beginning of this entire book called the Bible, there was a promise of a seed that would come, a seed that would come to defeat evil, a seed that would come to save, a seed, some seminal plan of God across generation and generation, a seed, a, a, a track by which God was intending 
to bring, to bring his rescue. Actually, bring who? Who's the seed? Who, who's the seed? The holy seed is Jesus. And Isaiah has, speaks, because the Holy Spirit is present, he speaks this amazing word, and he begins to predict Jesus' is coming. He's predicted Jesus is coming. A holy seed will remain. Okay, okay, that's enough. <laughs> All right, spiritual, historical, revelational, political. All right, let's get it. Now, uh, we're going to have some challenges reading this. The plain text, as you'll see, the plain text I will read. Um, Peter, you stand up. You're going to leave this side. Uh, Mike, will you stand up here and you leave this side, please? And these are your leaders. Now... You were going to read the bold text with Mike. You're going to read the italicized text with Peter. And you're going to read it to each other. Because that's what these angels are doing in heaven, aren't they? They're praising by speaking to one another. And so we're going to enact some of that right now. And so you'll wake up. And, and, and I want you, you know what I really want you to do? I want you to move into this text, into these words. I want you to move into the experience of the words, not merely the words themselves. I want you to move into the experience of it, like, like he would have experienced it. I want you to move towards worship. Because what's the point of this? What's the point of me talking if in the end you don't worship? I have failed. <laughs> maybe our, who knows? Maybe we've all failed. But our father doesn't fail. So, so let's, let's, let's stand. We're going to read this. It's going to be a little bit crazy in here, a little bit awkward, a little bit... Oh, there's going to be a little bit of chaos here, but I think we can handle it. I have one more note. We don't know how many of these seraphs, these flying, fiery angels there were. Later on in Isaiah sees four, I'm sorry, Ezekiel sees four, and about a thousand years later, John sees four. Uh, we don't know how many there are, but they're speaking to each other. So when we get to line six, I want to... To all say that back and forth. You'll say it once, and then you'll say it once. Back and forth. We'll just repeat it. Back and forth. Just a little bit different. Okay. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up in the train of, of his robe. It, it filled the temple. And above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lion of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. Okay, I picture it being more of a shout from the angels. <laughs> I, I, I imagine enthusiasm. Um, uh, let's see if they can do a better job. You say, say it to them, right? And they said, Holy, holy. Okay, let's let let them. Could you speak that to them now? Let's face them. So you're speaking to each other. Come on, face them. Speak to them. All right. And they said, "Holy, holy, holy is the Lamb of God. The whole earth is full of His glory." Amen. All right. Let's keep going. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of Him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, "Glory is me." Then one 
the seraphim flew to me, carrying in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, See this, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Who shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go and say to this people, Listen and listen, but do not understand. Look and look, but do not see. Make the heart of this people dull, and their ears heavy, and blind their eyes. Otherwise they would see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn. Then I said, How long, O Lord? And he said, Until cities lie waste without inhabitants, houses are without people, the land is a desolate waste, and the eye removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land, and though successful or not, is to, is to remove some of the obstacles to understanding that are, that are there for you and for me. And I, there, there are going to be others, and we're going to spend a little, we can spend a little more time in the text. Oh, thank you. Just lift it up and we'll turn it around. Um, and so, as we look for what the worshipers that God is, can you all see that over there? I don't know if you can see it or not. Just like, turned a little bit. God is seeking worshipers. Let's help join him in his search. So the idea here is to, is to unleash worship. Um, okay, I, I, so I, one of the things I'm kind of uh, uh, interested in here is um, one of the things that commentators talk about is, did anybody else see it? This is a public setting. Uh, temple's public. This place here where Isaiah says he is, where he sees uh, the glory. This would be a place people would be walking around. People would be walking around. There would be a priest doing something over here. Isaiah was not a priest, so he's not there doing work. And so there would be, there'd be things going on. So is this something only he sees? And we, that does happen. We know that happens. It happens in Ezekiel. It happens to others. But it, 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 what, what's the nature of it? What's, what's going on here? What, does ha- what is happening? And what, why... Why, why am I interested in this? Why do I think this will be important for us? Maybe it'll help us in our worship. And I, I think the reason is, is because of the way this just, um, worship invites us to live in the reality of God's kingdom as it truly is right now. I, you know, it's funny. I, something about worship, something about this, this thing we do, we come here to praise God. One of the things that equips it, that moves it, and moves our worship, I think, into new places for us, a new joy, is when we marry this, this what's going on here, to our, imagine, our imaginative vision. 
And that is a treasure. And I, texts like this, as mystical and strange as they are, as they describe vistas and glories that you and I have not seen, they're inviting us with our mind's eye to go, all right, let's say you're going to go to pray this week. Let's say you're going to go pray, and I don't know what posture you use, whether you kneel or talk or stand or, or you don't talk or you're quiet. But in that moment, what would it be like? What would it be like if God would do this? He would pull back the curtain for a moment. And this can happen with our imagination. When our imagination is married to our faith, we, will, we, we can begin to appropriate a vision of glory and say to ourselves, as we ought to say, as I pray now in this moment, angels, are flapping and covering and shouting. And if I had ears to hear, I'd hear it all. And if I had eyes to see. In other words, there is a there is a there's a there's a there's a, a reality greater than this reality present around us. And Isaiah gets a glimpse. Isaiah, for some reason, is pulled back. Uh, the, you know, the, this material is pulled back, and he can see for a moment what is true. I think, isn't that the hunt for worship? <laughs> isn't that part of the hunt? It's for you and I to be able to see, to be able to be able to perceive, to be able to see past this, past this, past this, and see and know that a God is real and present with his purposes and his plans and his love now. Did you catch it? Isaiah's dead. Long live the king. Did you catch that? When the king, you hear the king, Isaiah died, what does he say? I saw the Lord on a throne. Because what we need, what we need when we have politicians like we do in our day, and, and political calamities, and wars, and rumors of wars, is what? A new vision that our Savior sits on the throne. He is king, and nothing shall remove him. He is king. Do you, I want a vision of worship that it but our imaginations are now unleashed and we see it. Oh, that's exciting. But yeah, that vision, as much as I want that, I feel there's a warning like, that, that sidles up right here with me. And that is, I don't want to encourage you to merely seek more experience. Isn't that a problem in this time? Well, you know one of the problems I have with reading this text is that some of us are going to walk away going, why can't I have that? I don't get those experiences. I want those experiences. And in fact, I think it's a wicked generation that seeks an experience. Yes. And this is a wicked generation. It is a wicked and perverse time for what we say to God and what we say to church and what we say to this event and what we say worship is, is our experience. And if you pay attention to this text, I'm sorry, Isaiah's experience is kind of irrelevant. <laughs> it's kind of... It, it's there, but it's not the point. God has not appeared in shiny glory so that Isaiah can go home with a good feeling. I'm far from it, because Isaiah doesn't even have any good feelings. <laughs> if you notice in this text, he doesn't have a lot of good feelings and emotions. His first emotion is, I'm dead, I'm ruined, I'm done. And the second emotion is, I've got a job I don't want. Preaching something that nobody wants to hear. So what does Isaiah need for his, his, what God has given him? What does Isaiah need? What do we need in this hour? What do we need today? 
We need a renewed vision. I am calling you, and the scriptures are calling you by describing heaven to invest your imagination, to invest your time of prayer, to invest your approach with God with these images. For they are the truth of the matter. Go to him. You guys, when I, when I pray, I, and I don't know this, this vision, I think it's because of Ezekiel. Ezekiel says that. Ezekiel talks about the, anyway, the, 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 grand, the, the floor in, in God's throne room is uh, like a translucent diamond, blue diamond or something. It's like beautiful, cerulean blue. Well, whenever I'm praying and I'm kneeling, and it's not a joke, I picture the shade of blue at my feet. I don't I my picture. Because if I'm not there, then I'm wasting my time, and this is a joke, and you should just go home. Do you realize what a sad, pathetic man I am if that vision's not true? All I do is delude myself with fantasies then. These are not fantasies. I urge you, I call you, these are not fantasies. The Lord is lifted high. Praise him. And I think if you exalt God in your imagination the way the scriptures describe him in Revelation, Ezekiel 1, etc., you will find deeper, deeper joy. You will find his presence. You'll find him. So, first of all, the hidden vision. And that's what works with you at least as we begin to perceive what truly is. But what's the second part of this? This is where I get excited. It's not just the, the amazing vision. It's how routine this vision is. Did you catch what I mean by that? It's very, very common in this day for people to tell us that they have seen God. You, you know, that happens a lot of near-death experiences. Uh, well, people, many people will describe to you, if you care to buy the books, uh, what it was like to meet God, whatever. But the reason I become so concerned with all these reports, all these stories that proliferate in this time, is that they don't sound like the routine. What I mean is, this is the routine. I am God. Oh, crap. Uh, person falls down. I'm going to die. God says, no, you're not. I love you. Don't be afraid. Go and tell these people something. Again and again and again and again. It's always the same. It's remarkable to me that the visions people now have of God, God's more like a buddy and gives them a big hug. and says, That's not the God of the Bible. <laughs> it isn't. And, and the reason I got excited about, uh, first I want us to hitch our faith with imagination, an imaginative vision, but first, and then I want us to hip it, hitch it to the routine of the vision, the reason of the vision. What I mean is this. If you read the introductory paragraph to our worship, you will notice that, I, that there are four motions in our worship. Did you see that? There's the first one, and the first page is revelation. No, no, I'm sorry. What's the first one? Reverence. And the second one is repentance, followed by revelation, and then renaissance. Now, all I'm saying there is there's a routine. God, you see God's glory. How do you respond? You see your own filth. How does he respond? He affirms he loves you anyway and forgives you. Then how do you respond? With service and worship more. And then he, how does he respond? With a message for you to go. And, the, how, and, how, and how does he end? With new hope and a holy seed. Renaissance. All these motions of worship that take us. And what I'm telling you is, I love this. You see, God's worship's always been like this. It's terribly routine. <laughs> now, sure, this is, there's a lot of drama. There's shiny smoke. There's a man screaming out and phrasing his eye. There's angels, fiery angels, who are calling out one to another. But 
We just did this entire thing in the last hour. <laughs> we did it. We just, and, and, and this is a part of the stuff of what it is to work. This is why I've been so excited about the parts of worship, but about how worship has a pattern and we're practicing for heaven and we're practicing for Tuesday when we've forgotten God's glory and his holiness seems, doesn't seem so shiny by Wednesday morning, does it? So why do we, why do we repeat? We repeat the pattern. We repeat the parts. We repeat it. Why? Because we need that routine. It's, it's what fills, it, it gives structure to our lives. It gives me, it, and it becomes kind of like the core, right? It holds it all together. It holds it all together because Isaiah's headed towards a lot of resistance. So are you. <laughs> you know? Isaiah's headed to hostility. So are you. Isaiah's headed toward dark sower. We're all headed to the same place as Isaiah was. And the bold hope, the imagined vision that God gives him is filled with just a simple routine. God is holy. You're a sinner. Come to him. He loves and forgives. Go and obey. Isn't that the work that we're, isn't that what's going on right now? Isn't that why we're here? Um, isn't that part of what, what this routine is here now? Isn't this why I urge you to, to worship? Not because I need you to come to this worship time. It's not what it's about. It's because I know that worship is unleashed first by imagination and then by all the parts and pieces, the reasonable stuff we all do. It's a part of our, our, our relationship with God. You've heard, you may have heard of something called the regulative Principle. But that idea is not just more rules. The idea is that God has given us a pattern, and that pattern is life. And this is what I'm telling you to do. Make that pattern your pattern Monday morning. You see, these patterns, this, this movement of worship, how Isaiah encounters God, how we see him, how we begin with a vision that we work through the things that are said. Listen to all this stuff here. The altar from the, the coal from the altar. The altar is the place where sacrifices for sin were, 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 were sacrificed. So the coal is put in your mouth, put in my mouth. It's put in your mouth. And what's the picture here? We're forgiven. We're cleansed. And it's, do you, do you see? The angel, the seraph, went and got the coal from the altar. And what are, what are you going to come and do in another 20 minutes? <laughs> what are you going to come and get? The body and blood. It's all the same. But the routine, in a sense, shapes our hearts into the shape of gospel love. <laughs> and it gives us, in all the chaos of our lives, it gives us that core pattern that is always, always the same. There's one more benefit of this in the scripture. It gives you the ability to test whether people are really know God or not. Because if they don't know this routine, they don't know him. Does that make sense? Every sinner who knows Jesus knows this routine. Everyone. Because we, and that's why we come back to it. We know this. It's played out again and again. And we go to it with you. We know this routine. It's the routine that gives us hope. Again and again. Finally, though, it's, it's a hidden vision. Because it's right there and nobody can see it but Isaiah in that moment. It's hidden and it's like it's a seed. Seeds are a hidden, hidden potential, aren't they? It's a routine vision. This is where it gets really hard. It's a sovereign vision. Faith has to be married to a decision. You have, and you may think I'm going to call you to decide for Christ. It's not your decision I'm talking about today, Peter. 
Just take a look here, will you? Look at this. Look in verse. Look in line twenty. You know, I take out verses sometimes. Those of you who are guests, I take out the verses because they're not inspired and and they can be an obstacle to understanding. But but if you look at line twenty one through twenty five. So Isaiah grabs the gospel, the routine, and the glory. He sees it all. But what is he told to go to say? Listen and listen, but don't understand. Look and look, but do not see. Look here, Christ quotes this, by the way, when he says, when he explains why people don't understand his teaching. He says his own, he says his own teaching is a fulfillment of this terrifying word. His teaching, the son of love, his teaching is a fulfillment of this terrifying word that you may be here right now. Some of you, in the sound of my voice, might be listening, and I can say to you, look and look, listen and listen. It doesn't make any difference. You see, there's a final part of worship here that I, that uh, terrifies me. Because I'm not talking about your decision, I'm talking about God's decision to make worship happen here. You see, that's what Isaiah is talking about. And that's why it's so terrifying. It is God who has to author their response. But we know he does because he authored Isaiah's response. You see, Isaiah is the author of hope in the story. Isaiah is the one who sees. Isaiah is the one who worships. Isaiah is the one who falls down, right? And says, here I am, send me. Um, so what do you do when you're faced with the purposes and plans and work of a sovereign God will he choose worship in San Francisco like it creates this kind of like this for me it creates a, a, a stab of anxiety how should I solve this problem if God has to create worship in this place for worship to happen what's the solution Well, just, just go to him. Just keep going to him. Just keep surrendering to him. What is the proper response to a sovereign God who calls people? Pick me! Pick here, Jesus, here, I'm over here, I'm over here. Over here in San Francisco, over here, over here in the mission. We're here. Pick us. Hey, hey, don't come here. Hey. is a response of faith and life to the gospel. And that's what I'm praying God will be creating here. I tell you, look, and you'll say, I see, because God has made me see. And I say, listen, and you say, I can hear it, because God has made me hear. And what happens here blows the doors off everything, because now Isaiah's available. See, now that Isaiah has his imagination set free into the glory of the Almighty. Now, he has engaged in the reason back and forth. He will even say later, come let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, what? They shall be as white as snow. Isaiah walks in, he understands this now. And he turns to the sovereign God to choose him. And the only way he can respond to the sovereign God is say, choose me. Now, so what I'm saying is, 
This is what you have to say for yourself. You have to say, choose me. It's what you have to say for San Francisco. It's what you have to say for your kids. Choose them. It's what you have to say for your parents, the people that you love and care about. It's the way we approach our God. Choose us. Yes, it is a wicked generation that seeks an experience, that idolizes its own worship and its own, its own rhythms and, and self-expression. <laughs> yes, but it is a loving God who moves towards this generation, right? Telling us about his love and the holy seed. At the end, I want you to kind of close with this vision. I want you to come bring it together. Part of what I... You know, it's funny. You know, they, uh, somebody mentioned um, their church is bigger, but they're having problems with uh, their volunteers. That's right. You were just saying that, yeah. That's funny. Um, and it's tempting to want to preach on this and say, I want you to have a service heart like Isaiah and sign up for children's ministry. <laughs> Anybody ready to say, here am I, send me to children's ministry? But the reason I didn't do that, and the reason I won't do that, is because that's not the win I want. The win I want is Jesus in your heart and mind and will, transforming you. And then volunteerism is already solved. Does that make sense? You see, that's what's happening in the text. That's the real miracle. God, God goes in and, and he, he transforms Isaiah. And God is in the business of making new people see things they haven't seen before, hear things they haven't heard before. He is in the business of new hearts and new lives and new minds. He's in the business of taking things that are dead like a seed and doing what? Building, making life, building this church, building his kingdom. Yes, this is him. He's the hidden vision. In the Oh, I get so excited about this. So it's not enough for me. I don't want to get you to sign up or get you to give more. None of that means anything. The only thing that means anything is the Holy Spirit dwelling here and the vision of God being so real, we are compelled to do what? Here I am. Send me. You see, that's, that's the goal. That's the prize that I want for us and for our city and for this generation. Let's pray. Father, I pray for a worship unleashed. Father, I pray for a worship unleashed by you. I pray that you would ordain praise. You would say, I appoint praise out of those people down there. I appoint praise out of First Press. I appoint praise in San Francisco. Father, reveal. The kingdom can feel so hidden sometimes. Reveal to us again your power and glory and how you're exalted on the throne. Father, bring us into the routine of confessing our sin and turning again to Jesus and being healed. (laughs) And Father, oh Father, please, in your tenderness and love, have mercy on the generation that seeks experience more than you. Forgive us when we've done the same thing. And envision us with your grace. Let the Holy Spirit take, take root and grow and produce a harvest. I thank you for your word, Father. We thank you for this time of worship in Christ. Amen.
On the night he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread, broke it, saying, this is my body, which is for you, take and eat. In the same way, he also took a, a cup of wine, saying, this is my blood, shed for the forgiveness of sins, take and drink. Um, yeah, temple worship, still going strong, still going strong. Okay, um, some of you, the hidden vision that you, you don't see yet is that this table is for sinners. So the first person I want to, I want to invite, this is part of the routine to the sovereign God calls you, is this table is for sinners, for people who have put their trust in Christ. It's not for good people. You see, if you think you're a good person, you're not, you're, you disqualified yourself for the table. Because this table is for sinners who cry, out with, who cry out with Isaiah, woe is me, I am undone. And I came this morning to this church and I, I've met the Lord now. And I know that. But good people can't, don't, don't, don't fall down with Isaiah, do they? And so good people never get the winged Seraph touching them with the altar coal. They never get that. Good people are not welcome to my father's table. But sinners are. So if, you, if, you, if you're a sinner in need of a savior and your trust is in Christ, then get to this table. Finally, there are some of you who think that, uh, who imagine that it's, it, well, find it hard to believe that I think this actually happened <laughs> or things like this are real. Some of you are skeptics. You're scientific, you're materialistic. You think you have not yet proved sufficiently, Chris, that this is actually an event that happened. That's fine. I pray that, I'm going to hoping that as you watch us worship with our, in your skepticism, you will feel tugged. Look, honestly, you know what? I know, I know this is a little bit gutsy, but I'm going to say this anyway. If you don't believe in Jesus today, I actually think you know better. You know this God has called you. You're just fighting it. So I invite you to put your trust in Christ. So let's go. Let's worship. And what we're going to do right now is a little bit, a little bit, we're going to enter a time of organized chaos. So what we're going to do is we're going to uh, do the Apostles' Creed. As we recite the Apostles' Creed, the worship team will be setting up. And then when we sing, will you come forward to the table and get, the, get the, uh, the bread and the wine and take it back to your seat. And we'll, and we'll celebrate this table together the way that I think it was intended. And then uh, after we're done singing, and then we'll be done with worship today uh, for the first part of the day. All right, will you stand, please? Tell me, a Christian brother and sister, First Presbyterian Church of San Francisco, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried, and he descended to hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. 
From there, he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.